An ancient African proverb says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Relationships are important in business. But what about the relationship between risk management and resilience? Hello everyone and welcome to episode 22 of the Resilient Journey podcast, sponsored by ClearRisk. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and this week I'm joined by one of the most dynamic business leaders I've ever had the opportunity to work for. He's the Chief Risk Officer for OMERS in Toronto, Canada, Rodney Hill. In this episode, Rodney discusses the relationship between risk management and resilience and how to identify those areas of the business that matter to your executives so that your actions get top priority. He even discusses the right way to identify which risks deserve your attention. We'll get into my insightful conversation with Rodney Hill right after this from Clear Risk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com. Rodney, welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. Start by telling the listeners just a little bit about yourself. Mark, well, look, thank you for inviting me on. It's a real pleasure. As the listeners probably don't know, is that you and I have worked together for quite a few years at OMERS, and I think you were instrumental in getting my knowledge of business continuity up to the curve. So so who I am, I'm uh, originally from Northern Ireland, uh, born and grew up there, spent some time in England, and find my way eventually into OMERS, where I've been for now over uh, 10 years. And OMERS is one of the largest Canadian defined benefit pension plans. And there I'm responsible for the compliance function, the risk management function, which includes business continuity, and also administrative responsibility for internal audit. So I have to say, and you know, I'll say it in front of uh, everyone here, that you're one of the most dynamic leaders I've ever worked with. Um, oh, I like that. I, I Yeah. <laughs> And uh, man, I just love your style, your management style. I remember one of the things that um, that you said to me early on when we first started working together. And you're chief risk officer of a large organization, and you know, people can be intimidated by that. And and you said to me, no, 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 no. If uh, you want to call bullshit, call bullshit. Right? You said that to me, and and uh, well, I did w- once or twice, I guess. But uh, I, I just really enjoyed our time together. So. Kind of building on that, you have responsibility for risk for a long time, and then they sort of shifted. They made a shift, didn't they, where they brought business continuity under your umbrella. And I'd like you to talk about the benefits of running business continuity under that risk team. For example, there's got to be some synergies and benefits of having it at that part of the organization. Talk about that. Look, Mark, I, I can't let your very kind words go unanswered, and 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 I won't go into the history, but there, there was, I would say, some organizational complexities towards allowing us to do what we needed to do, and it was really driven by cyber and business continuity. That was what the driver was, and I was in a position of having the confidence of the board, and that was one of the reasons that instigated this change. And the reason why I think we were ultimately successful, though, and this is to your question about why it makes sense sort of integrating this in with a risk function, 
is because two, two reasons. First of all, me, I had credibility with the board and I had credibility with the senior management team. And what it meant is that I saw the breadth of the organization. And, and, and the larger an organization gets, the more, if you like, silos there are or complexities of execution there is as well. So number one is you, you or you get two things. You, you, if you get a leader that's prepared to lead and it's prepared to drive forward and champion what's actually happening. And that's why I said, if it's bullshit, just tell me it's bullshit and let's put it on the table. We will deal with it and we will move on. Let's get it right. And I think that's what you have to have. But it's the breadth, I think, in the risk management function that's a real advantage. And, and, it's, and it's the breadth of seeing the whole organization not being pinned in one small area, which you're trying to get your voice up. You've got a, you've got a natural infrastructure in place to, to give a broader message and in some respects, through internal audit as well, we have a little bit of a stick. So we can raise attention to issues that need need TLC, if you like, and yeah. through those functions. And, and that's really, I think, the advantage. You know, it's interesting. You said something that, honestly, I never even really thought too much about until you said it. We always think about business continuity teams are usually pretty small, you know, sometimes a team of one or, or maybe two people. And we're always looking for ways to demonstrate value and build that relationship between us, for example, and you and your level. What you just introduced to the conversation was the relationship then beyond that between you and the rest of the senior leadership team and the board. And I don't know, are there things that we can do at our level and the business continuity level or whether it's risk management or compliance or audit or any of these other things to help you further that relationship with your peers and then the board? Yeah, look, look. I, my, my career, I was an external auditor for a long time. I came into them as an internal audit and I do uh, a lot of other things. So I've done a lot of jobs that people would probably characterize as being pretty unpopular mm-hmm. um, and, and jobs where you're looking over people's shoulders and you're critiquing. And, and that isn't always easy. So what I've really learned over my career is how to influence and how to influence politely is what you need to do. So I think in all of this is that, first of all, I think the business continuity team has to look for champions in the organization, either in their direct chain of command or more broadly, and to, to, to hear their message and, and to support it. And it doesn't have to be a direct boss, but it could be like an, when you and I started, like I, we, I wasn't directly accountable for the function, right? So that's number one. And the second thing is you have to, and I'm going to use this, this term is you have to figure out what the benefits are to another person. So we sometimes can get in the middle of a BCP program and we know it's really cool and it's really exciting and we're doing impact analysis and we're doing a lot of detailed stuff and we know what's right. And we talk about those things because they're features to us that are really important. But instead, what you have to turn around to the organization is tell them what is the benefit to the organization? Like what's the benefit to them? Not to you not to the function, but to them. So that's the really, really hard part is is stretching out and saying, this will help you in this scenario. And that I think starts getting the language better. So I wanna leverage that for just a second because one of the biggest risks that's facing everybody today is, is cybersecurity. And it's a perfect example of what you were just talking about, identifying a risk and then taking actions to make the organization more resilient, but by, leveraging a risk that everybody is aware of. Everybody knows that cybersecurity is a big deal and we need to pay attention to it. It can help drive that benefit, right? It can, it can demonstrate the value and the benefit uh, to, the, to the other stakeholders. 
So talk about how you leveraged cybersecurity um, as a catalyst to making the organization more resilient overall. Um, so, so you will recall in that scenario, uh, there was the recognition that it was a risk. And you will recall too that internally in the organization, we were struggling because we didn't have all our, our, our we, we didn't have everything aligned. There were people who were, um, I think, wanted to take credit for stuff that was partially done. We had, we had issues that there were barriers where some functions didn't want to operate, like collaborate and stuff like that. Yeah, silos. So, so, so what we did is, is we use it as a, we, 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 I use it as a wedge to really say that we need to be successful here. And, and, and we drove, you remember, like I, I was in a lucky position where I could drive through a lot of the silos and we put about four or five people in a room together and we started to talk about how we took the technical folks in technology. We took you in your role to help give us good practice and good execution um, and playbooks. And then we took legal and some others, right? And we started off from there and we started mashing it together. Yep. And what, what drove out of the that is we drove, remember, into a crisis management plan. Because what we realized on, on cyber is it isn't the technical defenses that you can have. You need, need that stuff. But in the end, we're going to get hacked. We're going to have an incident. And it's how we respond. And there was also a hook there because we had a board that cared about how we would respond and they cared about how they would be informed. And what we did then is we took that thought process, right, on cyber and we made it broader to a crisis management plan is what we actually did. And then we took the component elements of that being the disaster recovery and we started thinking about broader processes. But that was a wedge we came into. It was cyber and it was the response capabilities in cyber is what we really drove and we drove that because everybody cared and we and that became our wedge to make a, a broader platform and and if i i mean the platform today is that the beauty of it is and i i want to bring it back to why create whoever it is in the organization that does this stuff they have to have breadth because we now have the table legal people insurance people privacy people regulatory compliance people, because we have seven regulatory agencies to deal with as well. And we have the technical technology people. And one of the real beauties of this, Mark, is that we can do things once. Because as you know, like when we started off some of our crisis meetings as well, is that we had people walking in, everybody wanted to know what was going on. It was going six different ways. You were trying to manage the messages and trying to manage the process just then. And I think that's the part that we've matured on more than anything. So one of the things that I know we learned and you know, we could talk about lessons learned uh, through different things that we went through together or even the exercises that we ran together is that early on as we were starting to build this stuff, our responses were really slow. Like we were really slow. And then a year and a half, two years later, we look at it and we're like, hey, this is getting pretty quick. And what's interesting about that is, and you, you alluded to it, the messaging has to be so fast because particularly now in this social media age, everybody's looking for instant messaging. They want to know what's going on right away. And we ran into some of that. And that kind of ties into the collaboration you talked about and making sure the communications folks are engaged. And it really is a team effort for sure. That kind of goes to um, a follow-up that I had on that. And it's still today, 
a number of organizations still don't understand the need to engage that crisis management business continuity mentality when we deal with a cyber response. You, you are a real leader in that, and I know you see the value in it. Well, I saw the value because I was terrified that I wouldn't know what to do when it happened. And I remember sitting for the first time, I mean, you and I, remember, remember we had one event, right? And yeah. we sat in a room and I was sitting in that role chairing a crisis committee and I didn't really know what to do. And you were there. I remember Mark, if you, you guys can visualize this, Mark was there writing an agenda on the wall behind me. And I looked at it and I said, that's what I have to do. And then we leaned into it. And that was the start of that journey. But it was just being frightened that we wouldn't know what to do. And, and I, interestingly, Mark, is I have a backup now in the role as the crisis chair. And we did a playbook and we did a, we did a, a desktop exercise about a month and a half ago. So I deliberately, about half an hour before we were running the event, told him that I wouldn't be running the event he would be doing. And it was really interesting. I think he went through the same realization that I did. And that was actually deliberate for me to force him to realize that coordinating all these moving parts was really, really important. So, so I want to go back and talk about that because I remember that day, Rodney. I remember we were up in the war room. Uh, you were new in the role. I think you had only been assigned to the whole business continuity crisis management thing just a few weeks before that. We hadn't even had a chance to really level set with you or, or um, get you as prepared as we would have liked to. And I intentionally wrote that agenda on the board so that you could see it. So they didn't have to, I don't want to say embarrass you, but it, it was my way of saying, okay, Rodney, here's the stuff you need to be doing without having to verbalize that, you know, in front of your peers in that kind of thing. And, and I don't tell that to pat myself on the back. I tell that to- You're to telling my, all your listeners now, you're to, you just told the secret to everybody. Thanks, Mark. Well, I, yes, that's, <laughs> that is true. But I am telling my listeners, I'm telling my colleagues, this is the way that you can lead through yes. a, a servant leadership that that I, I I could have very easily said, okay, Rodney, you're new to this. I'll just run this meeting. And that wouldn't have served any of us. But by doing it the way we did it that day, it built our relationship. It gave, I remember the CEO came back uh, after everybody else left and he came back and he sat down and he said, I want to thank you both. This was really well run. Yeah. It, it was interesting. It was, it was good to do it that way. All right, let's go back and talk about more about this relationship between risk management and business continuity. Because I know when I worked on the program, I tended to focus on things like the business impact analysis and the plans. And I left the risk assessments to the risk management people, right? We just kind of separate but equal did our own thing. But ideally, these two teams do need to talk and share information. So talk about the link between those two data gathering processes and how information captured by one team can help the other. It's all about collaboration is what it is, right? So, um, and what you will find is that the, the, the sum of the whole is more than an individual. So in your scenario, like you can do the technical business impact analysis. And at that stage, you'd been within our organization for a period of time. But what we then were able to do is to bring some risk people together with you had been in the organization like, um, like five plus years, right? And their job on a daily basis was seeing the breadth of the organization. So 
I, I would I characterize you were a really deep subject matter expert in one specific what to gather and what information to collect and assembling it. The other person saw the breadth of everything and marrying those two things together was, I think, one of the real beauties that we had together. And, and so what we now do is the we still have a very small business continuity team. It is only about three people. And but what we do is we leverage the broader risk team and then we leverage through that other elements of compliance and other elements of internal audit to provide breadth and thinking of breadth. And I'll give you one really good example. So I mean, after the, the when, when we started dealing with the pandemic, um, I was, and similar to you, we, we were driving down this road. We were doing quite well. The business continuity person was doing a good job but I wanted to pull in a communications person and the communications there was to really help sure we got messages right and got messages out. going back to what you and I realized that you got to be speedy and you got to get it right and you got to move quickly. Yeah. The individual that was in that role was sort of like, are you taking away my responsibility? Are you not letting me write stuff or like, am I doing something wrong? And what that individual's realized is the power of bringing the professionalism and that other thought process and bringing together a collaborative approach, now he, he's really embraced that and we've got a win-win scenario. So bringing different skill sets together mm-hmm. is what you need to do in business continuity. And I would say, like, and can I, can I talk about, is it okay for me to go on here? I want to talk about not business continuity, but resilience. Yeah, I would and, love and that. So I, I, I think that, Look, we can deal with cyber, you can deal with these instances. And I know increasingly people are starting to think about this, but here's like, I'm responsible for investment risk. So we went through the pandemic and we had thought through a market drawdown. So a, a fall in equity prices, what that would mean to our investments. And it generally has a, 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 a ramification to liquidity. So we knew that this is a scenario that we would deal with. We had uh, uh, dealt with it. We had thought through it. We knew what would happen. We knew how we would respond. But we and we had thought on the other side, for example, on on pandemics and the impact on the operations and what would actually happen. But we never really linked the two of them together. Mm. And one of the things increasingly uh, uh, we are trying to think through is link through both operational risks and operational resilience issues and linking them into the impact on the in our investment portfolio and how the investment portfolio behaves. So thinking more holistically about stuff. And I would say that's the one thing that I've really tried harder to improve ourselves on is being able to think about stuff holistically and also being able to operate quickly. As you said, you don't know where you're going to be do you remember the time you were on the train on the way home yeah. and we had a crisis and, and Mark, uh, you guys should all know was a real trooper. He actually called in, he got off the train to help chair with me, our crisis management meeting. And I think you did wreck a cell phone that day as well, Mark, if I recall correctly. Yeah, I dropped a cell phone on the train platform. Thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you said something there, you, you talked about being more resilient, but, being intentionally more resilient, identifying risk, looking for ways to make a process or a business function more resilient, but not just for the sake of doing it, right? To protect the business. In this case, 
investment risk, which, as you said, leads to liquidity, which leads to sustainability of the portfolio. And it's just the whole life of the organization at that point. And there's business value for doing these things. It's not just an exercise because it's the right thing to do or, or you know, it checks off a box somewhere. Yeah, indeed. I, I, the thing that scares me today is a cyber attack on the payment processing area, which would affect, and I'm not worried necessarily about credit cards and paying for whatever. I'm worried about the settlement of security transactions and there being a systemic risk there. That means that you can't settle trades. And if you can't settle trades, what's the ramification then on the way a, a, an investment portfolio would behave? So there's a really good example of how an operational risk that could be outside the organization could have a massive ramification inside of it and you're not in control of it. It's not even your cyber incident. So those are the ones that mm-hmm. we are trying to think our way through. It's not very easy, but again, it's connecting the dots between both internal and external events through to the nature of the fundamental nature of our business, which is investing through to the operations of the organization as well, because we have historically, um, like we just look at things in sales, but what, how do we do business continuity? Do I, I mean, actually more directly, do we have disaster recovery? Mm-hmm. We've never connected those things through. And increasingly, I think we have to do so much more of that and, and have a breadth and awareness of understanding of um, the risks, the true risks we face operationally, and then linking them back into saying, can we withstand them? Let's uh, keep talking about that for a minute. So you're identifying these risks through your standard regular risk management processes that you do, and then those risks are getting prioritized. Talk a little bit about how to pick and choose which ones get your attention and how resilience and, and being intentionally resilient kind of helps mitigate those risks. If you know you have a core issue, for example, on payment processing, which is the one I'm worried about, right? Or settlement processing, right? So what you got to do is you got to look for a risk scenario or an external event scenario that actually catches everybody's attention. Again, you got to look for that wedge. You got to look for what's the feature for the, what's the benefit to the other person. And you got to get them a little bit frightened about this could happen, what would they do? And then that engages people in the process. And then you can actually facilitate the workshops to work your way through all of that is what you can actually do. But it goes back with you understanding that there is maybe a a, a good example uh, might be um, like generally physical properties actually have a tremendous weakness, weak, weak profile from a cyber perspective, like mm-hmm. air conditioners and all that sort of stuff. And those devices are getting smarter and smarter but yet they're not actually, uh, but yet are you willing to invest in that element of your business or your lease for your landlord or whatever? And who's going to actually drive that? So you got to look for a hook and then try to get them engaged to drive those processes through. So people like me are always looking for ways to, to do what you just talked about to <clears throat> reduce risk and, and make organizations more resilient. Give advice to me and people like me for when we identify an operational risk like that, but it's met with an optimism bias and people are like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. I'll start this off a little bit by saying, you know, like most of the people that are listening to this who run business continuity will have been involved in the responses to the pandemic and are likely still involved in the responses to the pandemic with people working remotely. 
Mm-hmm. I can't think of a better time in history for business continuity professionals to have the credibility in an organization to actually say what about something that will happen. And so number one is I think you have to capitalize on that event and you have to capitalize on that um, uh, if you like your credibility that you've built up through this process. That's number one is what I would actually say. And then I think you have to really, um, I mean, I think building on that, you have to just say, you know, like, I think you just have to try to figure it out in their mind, what would embarrass them? Like if, if they couldn't do something, how do they respond? How likely is it? And if it's not that likely, then okay. But how, what would the downside? Like, I think you have to paint the scenario for the downside for them as to why they would care. So you have to keep going back. Cause like, like Mark, why do you care about the fact that, what happened if your house burned down? And you're going to say, it's not going to happen. But then what would happen? Like, how could you do that? What is the, could you cope with that? And I, I like, there was one guy I always saw and he framed risk and risk appetite as being is that the appetite is, is held by the other person. So you have to ask and say like, Mark, what is your appetite for, for you losing your personal possessions, right? And yeah. you say, well, it's really low. Well, then you've got something. But I think if you can, if you can frame it through their tolerance for what really they care about, and actually then drive it through that way. And, but you got to know that something's valuable to them, because if it's valuable to you but not to them, they're going to dismiss you. So you got to look for those hooks. Is what you got to look for. You got to look for things that have impact in that wedge, and then build from there. And if you don't have the credibility of the leaders in the organization then start small with things that will give you credibility, get those small wins and build from there. And I've always said people like a long yes is better than a fast no. So sometimes realistically, you know it's the right answer, but it will take a time to get there. So you have to build credibility slowly and over time. And I think that can get you to a very good solution. Regular listeners of the podcast will realize what you just said is a familiar message. We've had a number of guests on who talk about building relationships with executives so that you do know things like what's important to them and what their risk appetite is and uh, what their fears are. And I like to ask people directly, what keeps you up at night? What are you worried about? And okay, you're not worried about something that maybe I identified as a risk, but what does, you know, worry you? And uh, you've mentioned it a couple of times today, you know, there's certain business processes that that you get concerned about. And, and so um, that's a very consistent message. So, so thank you for. It's always Mark. Also, the, the thing is, if you, if you, if you only focus on risks, right. A risk is not meeting your objective. So I think it's really important when you're talking to your business leaders and you're building those relationships, a really listen and ask them what's really important to them. What are they trying to achieve with their teams? What are they trying to achieve with their functions and play that back because any and that will be their objective. And then basically a risk of not meeting that objective will be important to them. And that gives you a good language to speak back to people with. So, and we don't normally articulate it that way, but that is actually the right way to do it. I appreciate that. That's a nugget. Thank you for, for sharing that. We talked about the pandemic. What have you learned about resilience, both your own personal resilience through the pandemic and then just general organizational resilience, you know, now that we're approaching two years into this? I think, look, I was always a very mobile individual. Like I would take laptops home. I would work from wherever. I have worked from Starbucks. I've worked from wherever, right? So I was never that fussed by it. 
I would say the organizations have really surprised themselves with their capability to work in a remote fashion or to work in a flexible fashion is number one, I would say. And I think the genie's out of the bo- bottle. I think it's hard to put it back. Yep. Um, um, uh, I think there is a place for offices to be very clear. And I think there's a real place for people being together and talking to each other in relationships. But I think people will demand flexibility. So I think organizations have really surprised them about that, themselves about that. And the fact that they were actually more resilient to working remotely than they would. I, I think one ramification, you and I remember the time we spent talking about the hot site, like creating a hot site where people could go to in a business continuity situation. Like, right. I don't see how that's even relevant today. Like work from home, right? right? Is I don't think hot sites are not a business I would be investing in today. So anyway, <laughs> that's number, I think that's what we've learned more than anything that we are more resilient than we ever thought we actually were and our capability of working flexibly is different. I think the, the organization, the, the, the profile of business continuity Insight, I know in our organization, the individual that leads it has a better profile now than they've ever done. But I actually think that there is a catalyst from that where we actually have to now say, okay, what we've learned from this is that we need to think through resilience of an organization through processes and through the impact of a pandemic on the business, like on, on our people, on our remote capabilities, on how we operate in the office, how it mean, what it means to our investment program, what it means to a cybersecurity program and what it means, like, et cetera, et cetera. So you can take any scenario now, and I think that's going to be the key difference for us is starting to think through multiple layers when we go through a, a, a crisis scenario and how that may affect us. Yeah, I'll get you out of here on this. I'm sure after listening to you, people are going to want to connect with you. How, how can they do that? Um, I was thinking about making them all connect through you so that you would be overwhelmed with email, Mark. But I think the easiest way would be just on LinkedIn, quite frankly. So I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Rodney Hill, and uh, just connect with me on there and send me a message and I'd be very happy to respond. So, But uh, listen, Mark, you are a real giant in this field and I just wanted to thank you for A, inviting me on and B, really teaching me about this area because he's very humble, but Mark is really a giant in this whole area. So thank you, Mark. Thank you, Rodney. And, you know, likewise, I learned a lot from you and, and I mentioned that at the top. So it's been great. Thanks for doing this and uh, stay safe. You too. Take care. Special thanks to Rodney Hill for joining the Resilient Journey. And as always, a huge thanks to Clear Risk for sponsoring the podcast. We continue our conversation about risk management and resilience next week as I'm joined by Sarah Garrington. In this delightful and insightful conversation, Sarah explains the difference between business continuity and resilience and how risk management and resilience are complementary partners in making your organization more resilient. There's a lot going on, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.